Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up on its own. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb, crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. As soon as she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, Mary replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Amen. One year ago, Easter, I was in Dallas, Texas at First Presbyterian Church, where I was the interim pastor. Normally, on Sunday morning, I would get up around 5 and I would get myself together to get to church early. I would stop at my favorite little place and get a munchie and some coffee and maybe a bottle of water. This Easter morning, that was closed. I did not get the munchie or the coffee or the bottle of water. And I was short on time, so I rushed off to church. Big mistake. I'd gotten through two services and two sermons, and I began to feel a little lightheaded. I had gotten to the moment of communion and was offering the cup to a number of people coming up the line 
And I could tell that I was just gradually fading away and would probably go down sometime in the near future. I noticed an elder coming through the line. I said, if I can just hang on and pass the cup to the elder, then I can go sit down and recover. Well, by the time he got there, I was fainting, and I went rushing over to the pew and sat down in the pew, but that wasn't enough. I needed to lean on one of the people in the pew. That wasn't enough, so she said, why don't you lay down here in the pew? And that wasn't enough. She said, I think you better lay down on the floor. And by that time, I was surrounded by a number of people, and I probably had faded out a little bit because they were calling out and saying, Gareth, Gareth, are you awake? Well, by that time, instead of hearing them sing as what was in the order of worship, the Hallelujah Chorus, they had changed and were singing, There is a Balm in Gilead. (laughs) I think they thought... I was going down for the last count. Well, I discovered that I not only did not have enough hydration, I was very low on potassium, did not have the right food, and so I was carried out by the emergency people in a gurney. Isn't that an irony? Easter Sunday morning and the pastor goes down. Now, lest you think I'm going to try to reenact that, I am not. (laughs) I did, however, get a text from one of the staff members of the Dallas Church this morning that said, please stay hydrated. (laughs) When we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, The part that John accents in chapter 20 is the pain of Mary. The presence of Jesus is almost understated. It's Mary that's the focus. Mary of Magdala. The city of Magdala on the southwest side of the Sea of Galilee. At this wonderful moment of transcendence, when the glory of God should shine brightly on Easter Sunday morning and we want to sign up for the great hymns and the great anthems, what John wants you to see is the intimacy of the moment of the pain of Mary. We've heard from the choir today Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. A wonderful quotation out of the book of Revelation when the thousands of people are gathered around the throne of God and singing praise to Christ, the risen one. But I think Handel understood something when he put this together because right before Worthy is the Lamb, the last great piece of the Messiah, is this quiet soprano solo. A quotation of Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, the power of the moment of the resurrection is dwarfed in the presence of the pain of a human being who's lost Jesus. 
John's gospel is very personal, deeply emotional and full of feeling. It's reflective and thoughtful. It's interpersonal. It is about us intimate conversation between Mary and the angels and Mary and the Jesus she did not know was there. When the Presbyterian scholar Earl Palmer was writing his book on John, he titled it The Intimate Gospel. Gospel that isn't full of so many big moments as a lot of little moments, a lot of inner moments, a lot of struggle and pain when God is coming in close to us in the dark places. A gospel of vulnerability, of personal presence, of the Holy Spirit, of visceral emotions, of wailing, of touch and embrace, of yearning and knowing and longing for that body of Jesus. Mary isn't even asking for the resurrected Jesus. If she can just get to the dead body, she'd be happy. She has a deep friendship with Jesus, just like John. The Gospel of John says that Jesus was full of deep, deep human love for John and for Mary. But around all this, we see the other disciples rushing around. The language is pretty clear. John and Peter are competing in a race to see who can get to the tomb first. It is a clear demonstration of testosterone gone crazy. And Peter, who's probably got the bigger ego of the two, is bound and determined to beat John, but at the last minute he poops out, and John beats him to the grave. But John stops, and Peter, not to be undone, said, I'm going to get in there before you. You get this very strong sense that what they're really doing is competing to see what's going on. And then when they look in the tomb, and they look around, and they see what's happened, they go back home again. Like, oh, there's no body there. I guess they took his body away. John quietly wonders, though, in the belief Well, no, Jesus did say he was going to come back to life. But they go away. It's Mary who doesn't leave the empty tomb. Don't miss the moment. In the middle of the death and the missing body, Mary lingers and wails. She sobs. She's inconsolable. She's writhing in tears because she can't find the body. If I can just get close to that body, I'll be okay. Mary is missing Jesus horrendously. Last year, before Easter, A young man was riding his motorcycle in North Dallas on the large interstate there, 635, and he was ran off the road by a motorist and killed immediately. 
Now, this wasn't just any young man. This was the chosen young man. Chosen in three ways. He was trained as a classical musician in bassoon. Now, there aren't many people who play the bassoon. They're very hard to find. But he was probably even more gifted at computers and computer programming. And for his memorial service, the computer giants of Dallas showed up and said, this is the man. But even more so, and he was known as being one of the most gracious, kind human beings that lived in the town, a young man in his early 20s. And his mom, who loved him deeply, was wailing. She couldn't let him go. She couldn't understand why God would take him away from her. She was inconsolable. Mary was inconsolable. She had lost her best friend. She had lost the man who really understood her, the man who had invited her into a place where only men go. That's a woman, I think. Peter and John didn't stay long enough to see what Mary saw. Peter and John, when they saw the empty tomb and what had been arranged inside, were back. They had left, gone. Mary was still inconsolably sobbing at the tomb, and she kneeled it down and peered into it, just as Peter and John had done. But Mary stayed long enough to see something new. She saw two angels inside the tomb. Peter and John didn't see those angels. She had a conversation with those angels, and they noticed that she was sobbing uncontrollably. Oh, woman, why are you crying? They've taken away Jesus' body, and I don't know where it is. Do you know where it is? If I can just get that body. If you've been in a place in death, or if you could just get close to that dead body, you're going to be at least okay. But then she turns around and she sees another person standing there and she thinks it's the gardener. But it's Jesus. And it doesn't say it in the text, but you get this strong feeling that as soon as she recognized it was Jesus, she was moving toward him and probably embracing him and grabbing hold of him to the extent that Jesus said, whoa, you can't hold on to me. I know you want to, but you've got to let me go. I've got to go. You see, Mary's the one that discovers in the resurrection she can't hold on to Jesus. We discover in death we can't hold on to the person who's died. We have to let them go. And that's hard. There are many, many ways in which this text communicates a number of Greek words that communicate the ability to see and understand and observe. And one of those words is the word that we get theater from. Peter and John looked into that tomb and they saw the layout. They noted how things were arranged. When Mary looked in the tomb, she saw the layout and noticed how things were arranged. She got 
and they got their dramatic point of the whole situation. But Mary got an added dimension. She saw living beings in the tomb. And then when she turned, it says that she not only saw the gardener, but when he called her by name, she recognized it was Jesus. Now, Mary is a fairly common name. It's estimated that one out of every five women in the times of Jesus were named Mary. That's a lot of Mary. And in the gospel itself, at the end, there are at least five Marys named. So it's not the name Mary that's being the thing that's accented here. It's the fact that Jesus uses the name Mary and speaks it to her. There's something about the sound of Jesus' voice saying Mary that caused her to recognize who he is. You may have a common name that lots and lots of people have. But when God calls you, there's nobody else that's got that call. Nobody else who can enter into your pain the way Jesus does. She desperately wanted to understand. She desperately wanted to know. She desperately wanted to hold on. She desperately wanted to make sense out of his death. And she lingered there in the darkness and in the pain and in the hurt. You know, it's hard to linger in the loss. It's hard to linger when things are not making any sense, when life is chaotic, when you've lost your beloved person. It doesn't make any sense. How would God take this person that I've loved so much away from me, particularly at such a young age. Now, Americans tend to deal with grief in all sorts of ways, but one of the ways we deal with it is by rushing around. When Ernst Becker wrote the book, The Denial of Death, he said, you know, Americans would rather go shopping than face death. We're kind of a death-averse culture. And of course, in this text, for the disciples that rush around, they miss it. They don't linger at the tomb long enough to see the angels and the resurrected Jesus. A fairly famous pastor once told a story about the grief that he was going through and the loss of his own father, which was a deep grief. He and his father were very close, very tight. When his father died, he was inconsolable in grief. He was in such pain. He prayed on a number of occasions, Lord, please take this pain away from me. I don't want to be in this dark place. I've got people to pastor. And it was as if an audible voice of God came to him and said, I want you to stay there in that pain for a few more weeks. I want you to linger there. I want you to soak it up. I want you to look around in that, imp- that tomb, and I want you to fully digest the level of grief that you're in. Thanks a lot, God. And that's what's going on with Mary. There at the tomb, the other disciples are running off. They've run toward the tomb. They're in a rush. They've got that Easter busyness that won't allow them to get the nourishment they need. 
but Mary lives in the grief. If you're living in the grief today, if you're living in the pain, if you've had a major loss or losses in your life, this is your text. And it's not about rushing to the empty tomb. It's about staying there and absorbing the depth of the grief. Well, this pastor, when he got that voice from God saying, linger there for an extended period of time, he went through all sorts of pain for several days and weeks. And finally, after about five weeks, he got a picture in his mind of something that had happened to him when he was a child, about three years of age. He had actually locked, by mistake, locked himself into the upper bathroom of their home. And dad couldn't get into him and he couldn't get out. They were isolated from each other and there was no one to help him in that bathroom. And so he cried out in that hard place. Dad, something came to him and said, you know, I think if I can take a step ladder, I think I can go up the back window and through that back window and go into the bathroom and unlock the door from the inside. And so dad did that. And that's his memory. It's of God saying, I'm not going to unlock this door of pain you're in from the outside. I'm coming in there with you. I'm going to be with you in your frustration and loss and isolation. And I'm going to unlock the door from the inside of your heart. And he learned about how to deal with grief. This past week, if you are at all interested in the Masters golf tournament, you saw Tiger Woods win his fifth Masters. And it was so great to remember he had won several times back over 10 years ago. And it was great to see that he'd won again and there was a temptation to kind of go from one victory masters to the next and forget there's been 11 years of disaster, of unmitigated pain, where there were moments he didn't think he'd ever play golf again, where he made a terrible mess of his life and it was chaos on drugs, arrested, divorced, and humiliated in public. And you got this strong sense that what you really need to do if you're going to appreciate this moment was go back and relive the pain. Don't run away from it. That's the American way. Deny it. Avoid it. Go shopping instead. Find a nice Laguna restaurant. But whatever you do, don't think about the pain. That's not Mary. So today I invite you to consider the possibility that it's in the midst of the loss and the grief and the pain where the resurrection has its most deep importance and value. Richard Rohr, a Catholic spiritual director, says this, all spirituality is what we do with our pain. He says in another place, before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you very miserable. 
Faith is not for overcoming obstacles. It is for going through and experiencing the obstacles. And that's what Mary goes through. The younger generations today are saying, we're tired of the institutional church denying and abusing and avoiding the truth of our humanity. And so a lot of them don't go to church today. What they're looking for is, is there a real presence that they can trust beyond the institution? And the answer is yes. It's Jesus in the darkest moments. That's the essence of spirituality. Don't show me the rules. Don't give me an institution or a creed. Show me Jesus. And don't make that death go away too fast. Mary, when Jesus called her by name, there was a call attached to it. If you linger in your pain, you may actually hear a call of God to do something important. Mary, now that you've experienced this, I want you to go tell the disciples what you've seen and heard. And Mary becomes the first apostle to all the other apostles. An amazing thing. And I'm losing my microphone. This doesn't want to stay with me today. Too much pain. She is able to go and tell them because she's able to experience the depth of the loss. Those are the people you really want to listen to. Not the people who have raced around, but the people who have lingered in the darkness and the grief. They know. And they know Jesus. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we are so thankful that you meet us when things are so hard. And you show up and you call us by name. And you give us something important to do. And so help us linger there and listen. And go and tell. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. In the resurrected Lord. Amen.